podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Today's going to be a little bit of a different day. Uh, we are starting a new series, but before we start this new series, um, I would like to address a couple of questions that came forward. Actually, it was just one central question that came forward from Dr. Chris's message with us last week. And before I share what this question is, and before we take some time to address this, I actually want to, for the person who wrote this, um, I want to commend this person for writing an email into the church. And um, just in a very gracious and a very humble and a non-argumentative way, said, I'm seeking some clarity and some understanding on some things that were spoke last week that I don't think I quite understood. And I just want to say that is one of the best ways to handle either just flat out disagreements or maybe misunderstandings or misinterpretations. Um, so let's just for like a half a second, let me talk about some unhealthy ways. Um, <laughs> unhealthy ways are to just walk, walk away and uh, say, I've just flat out disagree with that. That was awful. I think another unhealthy way is to go and then to, in a very toxic manner, um, share with other people in a divisive way. God, gosh, can you believe that? That was so wrong. Um, those don't lead to life. They don't lead to unity, which we prayed for today. Uh, they don't lead to grace and humility. They don't lead to a culture of learning. Um, they lead to division. <clears throat> Um, but when we say, hey, uh, can you help me understand? Maybe I just misunderstood this. Maybe I misheard this. And the beautiful thing about this particular email is this individual actually stated very, very plainly, is this the position of Antioch? I understand this is a guest speaker, and I'm just curious, is this Antioch's position? And so this is the question that um, was brought forward. It was essentially around the comment that Chris made about we should love people more than we love being in relationship to God. We should love people more than we should love being in relation. We should love people more than we love being in relationship to God. And in this email that was asking for clarification, one of the scriptures that was cited was in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 36, where Jesus says, hey, the first and greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the point of clarification was, it seems pretty clear that Jesus is saying that we ought to love God first and we ought to love people second. So I'm just a little confused. So Jonathan and I have been in conversation around this. I'm gonna tee this up for you, Jonathan. You can hit the theological aspect and then I'll hit more of the pastoral practical and together we'll knock them out, bro. <laughs> One, two. One-two punch. Hopefully some of this makes sense. Um, so I think a couple of things. One is let this speak to some of our, our Western way of thinking. And we don't want to caricature this, but Jesus is asked sum up all of the commandments in one. And he says what most of us would read to be two, right? So it's not that Jesus doesn't understand one versus two. 
It's that I think the point Jesus is making is that one is impossible without the other. So the moment we try and prioritize them, well, first we love God, then we love people, we've already missed the point. I think what Jesus is trying to say is, well, of course, love God, which you cannot do without loving people. And so let that, let that mess with you for a little bit as we approach the rest of how we might try to respond to this question. And I think the key, so I'm going to read the statement that Chris made. I went back and listened to the podcast, and the statement was, we need to love people more than we love being in relationship to God. The key here is being in relationship to God. So what he is saying is not we need to love people more than we love God. And that's not what he said. He said we need to love people more than we love being in relationship to God. And the way that we relate to God is not necessarily the entirety or the essence of our relationship to God. And there's a number of practical and theological uh, examples. The first and the easiest to me that comes to mind is the incarnation. That before there was anything at all, we have the Trinity, we have Father, Son, and Spirit enjoying perfect love, perfect harmony, and perfect relationship. So why are we here? It's because the Trinity desired to share the love more than to preserve the perfection of their relationship. Now, the relationship within the Trinity is still a perfect relationship marked by love and mutual submission and harmony and giving of one another to the others. It, it is a perfect picture that we see throughout Scripture. But they opened, the, the Godhead opened itself, themselves, themselves up to pain and and the ability to be wounded by humanity turning our backs against God. Why? Because they would rather have us to share their life with than just have the perfect preservation of what was already in the Trinity for eternity past. Does that make some sense? So then, so then from there, why did Jesus come in flesh? Why did Jesus take on flesh? Jesus did not change his love for the Father one bit in the incarnation, but he certainly changed the way that he related to the Father by taking on flesh. Can, can we see that? That the way that Jesus related to the Father changed. His love for the Father did not change. It was his love for the Father that drove him to do this in the first place. So I think some clarity can be brought in recognizing that there is a little bit of a distinction between, well, a major distinction between loving God and loving the way that we relate to God. And then lastly, so in the context of the sermon last week, this was situated right at the end of the story of Mount, uh, the Mount Transfiguration, right? Where Peter says, it is good for us to be here. Let us build tabernacles that we can dwell here forever. What more could I want? I mean, really, this kind of speaks to the song that we sang this morning and the point that I made there at the end. And Jesus says, no, we must go down. And so they come down and there is ministry awaiting them at the bottom. And the point I think that Chris was making was that there is a way of living the Christian life that is drawn to wanting to stay on the top of Mount Transfiguration forever because it is good for us. It is good for us 
to be there. The problem is it's not good for the world if we stay there. And God is so concerned for the world that he does want those moments with us and he does want that kind of relationship with us. But when we have that authentic, maturing kind of relationship with God, it drives us to come back down the mountain to change the way that we are relating to God for the sake of those around us. Does that make some sense? It's fantastic. And, uh, you know, several years ago, there was a Time Magazine article that came out. And on the front of that uh, magazine cover, was the fact that less and less people, young singles, are getting married, but the, f- the thrust of the magazine article was that more and more young couples are refusing to have children. And the point of that being is this. I love my time alone with my wife. I love it. I, I love our, our, our date nights as far as and few as between as they come. And, and what I really love is I love the opportunity when she and I get to get away and, and go, you know, outside of the city and spend the night or a few nights somewhere. Um, And I'm always torn, and here's what I'm torn over. I'm torn because I am literally relishing in this um, individual, one-on-one, pleasurable, let's be honest, there's an element of pleasure that we just revel in in the relationship. And I know that when we get back home, that's gone. (laughs) Right? That's gone, and we have to fight for that. Because what, what awaits us is waking up at 5.30 and 6 a.m. and getting kids ready and packing lunches and, right, and washing dishes and taking out the trash and when the kids were younger, changing diapers. And so when Chris says a statement like this, we, we need to love people more than we love being in relationship to God. There is an element of our relationship to God that is like honeymoon. There's an element. And I think he's speaking to that. He's speaking to that that part of our relationship. And listen, it's good. Romantic relationship is good. Deep intimacy, pleasurable affection, sex, it's good. Um, But I think when it ceases to be good is when it begins to dominate, control, and consume our lives. And when we engage in that at the exclusion of our responsibility in love to the other people that are around us. Check check out this verse here and... um, Josh, if you want to put this on the screen, feel free. And we're not going to spend way too much more time in this. But in 1 John chapter 4, uh, this chapter, and really the entire book, but this chapter in 1 John is, is a great chapter that speaks to the heart of this, what seems like a dichotomy. And really, I think we have made this a dichotomy, but in God, it, it is not a dichotomy. There is no division in loving God and loving people in God. Uh, look at verse 7. Thank you, Josh. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So again, there there is no separation. And if I'm understanding this and interpreting this correctly, and we can even keep going further, that part of the way that we love God is by the way that we love one another. It's part of the way that we love God. Um, For those of you guys who are parents, 
um, or siblings. So I'll speak to parents first. Um, You know that if one of your children come to you and they say, oh, I love you, and then they're at odds with their brother or sister, right? Yeah, it hurts. And because in your heart, part of the way that they love you, I wish Christy was here because she could attest to this. Like one of the main challenges that we're facing right now is just the sibling contention. And, and, you know, constantly she's like, guys, you know, if, if you want to show your love to me, like show your love to one another, be at peace with one another. Um, and I think this applies to all of us. It applies, you know, there's a, there's a relational analogy, marriage analogy. There's a family analogy. I think this applies to singles as well. Um, I know even in my own friendships before I was married and even friendships I've had after being married, um, I've made the friendship more about me and more about, you know, how I relate to that person more than loving that person, more than what that person needs. And if we're not careful, and this is the heart of Chris's message, we can consume relationships in a selfish way that then the, the relationship is no longer about loving that person. It is really about loving ourselves. Okay. Um, and I, so let me, again, let me be very, very clear. Let me, let me be very clear. I love the fact that this individual, and I hope that the spirit and the tone in which we're sharing this, this is not, this is not a debate. It's not argumentative. This is, hey, someone said in a very, very right, good, healthy, and humble posture. I'm not sure I understand this. And I saw it several times, um, both in email form and in the course of social media that I thought, this is probably a good thing for us to talk about as a community. And um, um, yeah, thank you, Bonnie. So we actually plan on talking with Chris and um, we wanna make sure that the people that are, we are bringing in here um, are safe people and safe doesn't mean they're gonna say things that we always agree with. Um, but, but Chris is a trusted voice and I know that if Chris were here, he would be so gracious to take as much time as necessary to also help explain this to a place that we've come to understanding. All right, thanks for going there with us this morning, guys. Um, we are gonna start a new series that I'm, I'm actually very excited about um, I'm actually more excited than I have um, any holy fear. I've got a holy fear, but really I've got more, I've got more excitement and anticipation. And we're going to be talking about money for the next six weeks. And this is the first time in my 20 years of professional ministry that I've ever done a series on money. And we're going to talk about some of that, some of the why behind that. Um, I think blindly and ignorantly, I assumed that, you know, the little offering vignettes that we give, um, because we give them so consistently, I've been sufficient enough to help build out a good and a proper theology towards money. And I have come to the understanding that that was wrong. And so we're going to be talking for the next six weeks. And let me just give a couple of uh, points to frame this out. Um, money is a massive topic and it touches every area of human life. And there are so many scriptures on seemingly both sides, money good, money bad, what are the dangers, what are the blessings. That's, we just know that six weeks is going to be insufficient to cover all of the territory uh, that we need to and properly should in this subject, which has led me to a conclusion that I'm going to be chewing on, that this is honestly something that we should talk about on a pretty regular basis as a family of believers Um, to keep our hearts in proper alignment um, and to continue to explore more and more territory theologically about how to approach 
the subject of money in a healthy way and in a God-honoring way that empowers us to be who God has called us to be in the world um, as it relates to resources, material possessions. Um, So Jonathan and I have crafted out a couple of questions today, really just to tee up the sermon series for the next five weeks. Uh, We're going to talk about objectives in the series. We'll talk about some of the the titles or the... um, the actual messages themselves that we'll be exploring. And uh, today we're just going to hit some general, some general territory. Yeah. So this would be a series, by the way, just let me make a plug here that if you are unable to be here for one of the weeks, there will be, it will be building on itself. So it would be important that you at least try to listen to the podcast if you're unable to be here for all of the weeks, because like I said, we're going to try and establish some things in the beginning and then they will become assumptions toward the end of the series. Uh, But let's begin this morning with a question for you, Pastor, on why a series of money and then uh, on money, not a series of money. That would, I'd be okay with that. that. I, I mean, don't know what that would be. A, a, a sequential series of incre- incremental money. Is that what you're yeah, saying? absolutely. Okay. I don't know what that would look like, but <laughs> we'll pawn that off on the body to figure out. So why a series on money? But then in particular, why are we limiting this conversation around the, conver- the topic of Jesus and money? Okay, excellent. Uh, well, simply, the people have spoken. <laughs> No, at Family Talk, for those of you who are not uh, a part of our Family Talks, uh, once a quarter, uh, we sit down with those who consider themselves to be members of Antioch Church. And part of our Family Talk a few weeks ago was us walking through the financial status of Antioch. So we walked through giving uh, for the first three quarters, January through, what is that, January through August, the first three quarters. So we, yeah, we walked through the first nine months. And, um, and then we began fielding questions as it related to giving and the tithe and generosity. And, and there were just a number of really, really great questions that were coming forward. And it was very eye-opening for me in the very best way. And so I asked a room full of probably 60 to 80 people. I said, how many of you guys would find a series on uh, finance, money, material possessions, the tithe, etc., something that would be valuable and it was almost unanimous. And so, yeah, it was, it was overwhelmingly positive. And we actually had a different series scheduled for the fall months. And we, took a, um, we just changed direction. We felt like this would be valuable for all of us. Um, the church is not hurting uh, financially. We're not, um, um, this is not a knee-jerk reaction. Um, this is not a manipulative series to try to, you know, milk more of your finances. Um, again, this is something that I'm coming to aware of. And to answer your question, uh, money is a felt need. It is a felt need. It is a reality of the created order. It is a reality of life for every human being in every culture. Money, um, whatever commodity that it, it comes in, is a part of how we live the human life. And so it touches every part of our lives. And so essentially, money is a discipleship issue. It, uh, and the way that we relate to money, the way that we care for money, the way that we, um, our attitude towards money reveals something about our hearts. Jesus is very, very clear on this. If you're taking notes, you can even just jot down Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. So Jesus, I just, I think I stole that verse from Jonathan. Um, but Jesus says, where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be. And so over and over and over again, because God understands that money is so essential to the human experience and how we're tethered and tied to money and how so many emotional and spiritual dynamics are somehow connected to money or material possessions, Jesus is essentially saying that if we put so much stock in that, it's revealing where our heart is at. It reveals trust issues. It reveals fear issues. It reveals pain it reveals whether or not God is Lord of our lives. On and on it goes. I have, I have a couple other ones, but. Oh, well. <laughs> I didn't know if. Sorry. No, I was waiting for the mic to turn on. Um, I think it's so, it's fascinating too, because I shared this at Family Talk. There are 2,300 verses in the Bible about money, wealth, or possessions. 2,300 verses. Who can quote them all? Yeah, right. Um, so. For one, we should be tipped off that, okay, so this is an important thing. And as we began to talk about this after family talk, it was, it was eye-opening, I think, to both of us that Pastor Jade has really never spoke a whole series on it, you know, messages here and there. But this is one of the most repeated messages throughout Scripture is that how we relate to money has effects on things that are far beyond us that we will never know. And it also reveals things about us that we're usually not attuned to. And so I, I wanna just briefly address the second part of this question. So why are we primarily limiting this conversation um, to Jesus and money? Well, for one, because you already heard me say there's 2,300 verses in the Bible that speak about money. So it, we need a starting point. And if we start in, in Genesis, and we have six weeks to do this, we're not going to get out of, like, Genesis, okay? <laughs> so, so you know, and, and so if we want to get to the heart of anything in Scripture, the best place to start is usually with Jesus. If you want to get to the heart of what God thinks about just about anything, Jesus is the starting point. So we're going to start with Jesus in each of our messages. We're not only going to speak from the four Gospels. Uh, there will be other scriptures throughout scripture that we're going to pull on. But here was an, another interesting fact that I saw, that 11 of the 39 parables speak directly to or reference money. Think about that. Just under a third, 11 of 39 parables about money. It's more than love, heaven, and hell combined. So money is not, it's not something that should be off limits. You know, I was thinking this week about just what a, what a stigma is attached to money and particularly income in our lives. That one of the things that is off limits in just about any workplace to discuss in public is not, not performance, not who's messed up since the last staff meeting, not where the balls have been dropped, not the things that the organization needs to work on. Like everything is fair game for bosses to talk about in public except salaries, right? Like there are very, very few things that are, that are off limits to talk about in the workplace. Salaries is one of them. And why is that? I think because in our culture, value is attached to money. Mm. Value is attached to income. And I also think that that's one of the reasons that Jesus speaks about money so much because we have tied it to our value and also it speaks to trust. It speaks to 
where we ultimately place our trust. Do we place our trust in our ability to generate self-sustaining income and therefore everything else for ourselves? Or do we ultimately really trust in God? And, and so there's a number of things, as Pastor, you've already mentioned about how money is so closely tied to discipleship, but in these kinds of ways, in identity kinds of ways, right. in trust right. kind of ways, in faithfulness kind of ways. So th- this really is a central issue to the gospel, I think. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I'd also like to add that money is necessary for kingdom work and kingdom activity. And uh, we are called as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as people who are people of the kingdom, as people who uh, dream together with God. Even today it was prayed that your, your sons and daughters will, will have visions, right? And one of the ways that we participate with God's kingdom vision and kingdom work in the earth is through the means of resources, and um, if you, Josh, if you could, let's just go to 2 Corinthians 8. I want us to put our eyes on this. I think this would um, inspire us. This is always a very, very inspiring and hope-filled passage when I read this. And let me just show my cards up front. I want this series to be a hope-filled series for us. I'll speak to that here towards the end. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's begin in, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 8. See what these guys have to put up with me. And God is able, everybody say God is able. able. Come on. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. That is amazing. Let's just just really slowly. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance for the work that God has called us to. And that's not just overtly spiritual work. For the work that God has called you to, to be creators, graphic designers, um, the fishers who are going to be going to India next summer, um, our young man who has just joined this fellowship, you know, you're going to be traveling to Latin America to carry the message of the gospel. Where Whatever your work is, finances are, they're just, we just can't get around it. They're a necessary part of that. You know, I was, um, I was privileged to go to a conference here a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a conference by Simulcast called uh, Global Leadership Summit. And um, those tickets are actually very pricey. But there was a man that was in our congregation who paid for the entire staff to go and to be equipped in leadership. All right? That was an investment. And I'm telling you, that investment, it is still paying dividends because I was awakened. I was equipped. My, my mindsets were expanded. I was, I, was, I was exposed to other kingdom leaders around the world. And I tell you, one of the most impactful sessions of Global Leadership Summit was a young lady who began creating shoes. Um, she started build, you know, creating these shoes. She went to Uganda, had a vision and a passion to see uh, the kingdom of God come to Uganda. So she starts building these very, very cost-effective shoes, starts to sell them, uh, creates microenterprise, takes that business over to Uganda. The, the community starts to flourish. And then she tells the story of a young lady that was brought up in poverty, impoverished. And, and we may not realize this, guys, but this is why this stuff matters. Because people who are in poverty, and we're going to actually talk about poverty in one of our messages in this series, but people who are impoverished are more vulnerable and more susceptible, not just to systemic oppression, but to actually being sold into slavery by their families. These are realities. This is why stuff like this matters. Stuff like this matters 
not so that we can have nicer clothes or nicer cars. Stuff like this matters so that we can participate with greater kingdom endeavors. And so this gal, this beautiful gal, she pulls this wonderful woman from Uganda and she pulls her onto the stage. Her life has been radically transformed because someone dreamed with God, because someone believed that verse right there, because someone chose to engage kingdom principles in the arena of money and finance. So guys, I, I wanna elevate our vision. And uh, I, I'm praying that, that kingdom, kingdom entrepreneurship grows inside the hearts of every single one of us. Okay, <laughs> um, so Jonathan, from the 30,000 foot view, money, good or bad? Righteous or evil? You know what, Let's, who's got a coin? <laughs> We're gonna flip the coin here. You know, it's a question that obviously the answer, just I'll give you the answer up front and then explain why we asked the question. The answer is, of course it can be both, but it is inherently neither, okay? So, uh, I will tell a very, very brief anecdote from my own life here is I have an uncle who's an entrepreneur and I grew up working for him. And one of the things that I remember him saying, um, one of the things, well, I could share many of the things I remember, I remember him saying, but one of them is that he would say, John, money is a resource. Money is a resource. And what, what did he mean by that? He meant money is something that is at the disposal of the person who has it, right? So if a person who has the money, their heart is open to these kinds of systemic injustices, then money is, is gonna be a great thing because they're gonna use money to promote the gospel in the earth. And if the money is in the hands of a tyrant, well, we don't need but to open any history book that's ever been written. And we know that money then is an evil thing used to oppress, to dominate, and to keep people under lordship of people who they should never be under the lordship of. So money inherently is not good or bad because money only has the value that society agrees upon that it should have. So money is a resource that we end up with differing amounts of in our lives, and we get to choose how we spend it, we get to choose how we invest it, we get to choose where we give it, we get to choose what we do with money. So just a couple of things here uh, from scripture about money. Um, if we look in the Old Testament, we see that it seems that so many of the figures from Abraham to David to Solomon, and the list goes on, it seems to imply in the Old Testament that money follows wisdom, that where there is wisdom, so Solomon prays and asks for wisdom, that what follows? He didn't ask for money, but all the riches of the earth follow. And, and here's what's so interesting about that, that I think is one of the major points that we're meant to get from the wisdom literature, is that money follows wisdom, but happiness didn't follow money. And following God didn't follow money, right? So what do we do with that? What do we take away from that? Lots of different things that I'm not gonna get into right now. So then let's move to the life of Jesus. I think that one of the very fascinating things that we read from one of our primary texts for this series from the life of Jesus is that Jesus says mostly difficult things about money. He doesn't call money evil. He doesn't say we should all take vows of poverty and we're gonna get into all these kinds of things. But Jesus says a lot of difficult things about money. Think um, about the rich young ruler would be one of those examples. But have you ever noticed 
how many feasts and elaborate dinners Jesus attends. Think about that. Jesus was a foodie. Jesus was a foodie. I like him. That Jesus was because a foodie. Because I'm a foodie. He is. He is. And, and a fantastic cook. Yeah. So, so what do we do with this? I think one thing we can take away from just right off the top, and we're going to dive into this in the future, is that Jesus seems to be fine with extravagant gifts and extravagant banquets and extravagant dinners as long as the aim seems to be hospitality in honor of other people. And I think that's, that's ultimately a principle that, that we can engage with, that you can't throw a banquet if you don't have money. But throwing a banquet, generally speaking, is all about honoring other people and all, all about honoring guests and showing the hospitality and the generosity of the Father to other people. So there, those are just a few ways that we can approach money because obviously money is neither good nor bad. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach and I'm going to say that he's saying it's neither. I'm saying it can be both. Right? So when we look at the creation account, everything that God creates is good. And so I think we have to have a healthy theology of creation as it relates to material possessions. Um, in fact, this, this, might, this might betray me, but um, um, yeah, let's go, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 here. And let me make sure I'm, I, like I said, this might betray me. Um, Let's look right here at verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For he brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and they're trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with every pain. So the scriptures are not saying that money or riches in and of themselves are wrong or bad. It's the posture and the motivation of our heart. And that's why we're taking more of an emotionally healthy approach to this series. What, what is the status and the state and the position of our heart as it relates to money and material possessions? I think that right there is critical. And one of the reasons why money ends up twisting our hearts, one of them is because we're not operating in contentment. If we're not operating in contentment and gratitude, whatever amount that we have, that's an opportunity for us to examine, God, why am I so discontent? Why am I so afraid? Why is this amount not enough? And there's a lot of other questions to be asked there. Um, so God's creation is good. Uh, in the Old Testament Levitical laws, this is something very fascinating, and I think it has massive implications for uh, the way that we live today. And that is that um, in the Old Testament, Every Israelite person was allotted a portion of land. And so God deems it well and good and healthy that at least a modicum of property is attributed to every person or at least every family unit. And there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, not the least of which is that God has called us to be owners, not to be indebted. 
right? There is something that is produced inside of us that reveals the image of God, the nature of God, when we step into ownership. You treat things differently that you own than you treat when you rent, right? It pulls a dignity. It pulls a responsibility. It pulls a creativity out of you. It builds problem solving into you. Okay, so right now I've got several honeydew projects right now in my home. Um, and I'm not a handy guy, but I gotta, I gotta figure these things out because I can't just call a landlord or someone. I can't call someone who actually owns the property to fix that. Now, you may not be in a position right now where you're a homeowner. And I want you to know that that's okay. That there is a trajectory here. There is a trajectory in the Old, Old Testament Covenant law reveals that there is something of the hidden wisdom of God that ownership produces something internally inside of us. So it's good. There is a good thing there. Um, people who own businesses, they treat the premises of those businesses. They treat the tools and the equipment in their businesses different than someone who's just kind of renting a chair. They treat things differently when you have an ownership mentality. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we see that God goes over and over and over again. If you obey, then you will be blessed, right? You will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in, blessed going out. But he ties that to his covenant and to obedience. He's not saying that these things are bad. There is an element of good if we approach them with the right spirit and with the right heart. Okay, let's talk about some of the potentially bad elements or, or um, the deceptive elements of, of finances. And I think that that's a good word there. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, many of you guys remember this because I preach on it all the time. It's one of my favorite parables. It's the parable of the sower. And the story goes, there's a man who goes out, he's a farmer, he takes seed and he scatters it out onto different types of soil. One soil is hard, one soil is rocky, one soil is thorny. And here's what Jesus says about the thorny soil. And Josh, if you want, this is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. This is what Jesus says about the thorny soil, which is indicative of the state of the heart. He says that the cares of this world, anybody have cares in this world? Yeah, we all do. How am I gonna pay this bill? How am I gonna, on and on and on it goes, all right? The cares of this world and the, Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 22. The cares of this world, and the NIV says it like this, the deceitfulness of riches. The NRSV says the lures of wealth. I've never heard that phrase before. The lures of wealth. I just think of fishing there for some reason. Um, <laughs> but I like the NIV's translation there, the deceitfulness of riches. And here's where we have to be very, very honest. That, And, it, and we read this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. There is a deceptive nature to money. There is something in the human heart. Proverbs says it like this, that the human heart is never satisfied, okay? It is like an empty grave. There's this, there's, this, there's this constant, and particularly in the world that we live in now, that elevates materialism, that elevates wealth, success is to be wealthy, and there's, there's elements of the scriptures that push against that, you guys. And it requires radical honesty with our hearts and with God. God, where is my heart? Where is my heart? The, the author of Proverbs said it like this, Lord, I pray that you would give me neither riches and give me neither poverty. Because if you give me riches, I will forget you. And if you give me poverty, I'll be tempted to steal and so dishonor the name of our God. But only give me that which is enough. And that's the issue. How much is enough? 
How much is enough? And, and I think that as, as American Christians, that is something that we have to wrestle to the ground with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me be honest with how much is enough. Yeah, just uh, to highlight one of the things that, that Pastor shared just a minute ago about being enslaved. And part of our, our initial discussion about this and about this question in particular, about good and bad and how much and all of this, is we have to come to terms with you can be enslaved to money with little or with much, or with right in the middle. There is no quantity of money that we can have where we are sure that we are not enslaved to it. And that shouldn't be something that, that causes us to be fearful because probably that will perpetuate it, but we should allow that to give us pause and concern to do some of these, these things that Pastor Jade is saying, like to, to enter into a place of honesty with the Lord to speak to the core of our hearts of, Lord, where am I at with this? And am I enslaved in any way? Okay, so let's move on. Another question. So, so there's probably a number of you already that are a little bit tense and a little bit anxious for what we're going to say. Maybe not. But Pastor Jade, in 20 years of ministry, you said you've never preached a whole series on money. Of course, you've preached messages on it. What are some of the pastoral difficulties that come with preaching on the topic of money that we need to be aware of and that you and I particularly, we are aware of. Yeah, we're becoming aware of, We're right? becoming, increasingly becoming aware of. Uh, that's, that's a great question. You know, there's two things they say you should never talk about in conversation. What are those two? Religion and politics. I think in the church, there's two things that you never talk about. Authority and money. <laughs> right? And, and here's, a couple, here's a couple of thoughts. Um, number one, I think that the church has lost trust, honestly. And I think that we've lost trust because of um, elements of manipulation and elements of malpractice. Um, and I'll break two of those things down. I think um, there are elements of the prosperity gospel that at the core and at the root of them may have started off, I'm just for the benefit of the doubt, I'm gonna say may have started off in a good and healthy right trajectory. But I think somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, and again, it goes to this how much is enough thing. How many jets is enough, right? Um, how many square feet is enough in your house? Um, so I think that there's been, I think that the people of God have looked at lavish, extravagant lifestyles. And I think that there's something in, inside of us after the smoke clears that we look at that and we go, there's, I don't think this is right. And so I think that some people have felt manipulated. I think that there have been certain tactics, like, hey, if you give $1,000, you're gonna get $100,000. And I think, and I know stories, I know personal lives of people who have done that. And I think they have taken risks and they have fallen God and they have followed God um, in, in the name of faith and their lives have been ruined. And, 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 and people who are doing this, um, they're not there to pastorally walk people through that. And, and if all we have is to say, well, you just didn't have enough faith, I think something is very, very wrong and something is very broken with that system. So I think consequently, there are massive segments of the body of Christ that now recoil from any conversation around money. I think on the other side of the spectrum, there have been other segments of the body of Christ that have idealized and even made an idolatry out of the idea of poverty. 
right? So the idea of taking, you know, to be poor is to be spiritual. To be poor is to be righteous. And as in our conversation the other day, um, to be poor or wealthy in and of themselves is not righteous. What makes us righteous is the blood of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Christ, and accepting grace by faith and living towards him by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That makes us righteous, not living a poor life, not living a lavishly extravagant life. And we have completely misrepresented both of those sides of the spectrum. Um, I think malpractices in the church, um, exploitation, um, pastors stealing money from the church, pastors using money in inappropriate ways, I think that has led to a lot of mistrust. And so consequently, we don't want to talk about these things. Um, this one is something that just came to me recently, and I don't, I don't wrestle with this, so I can speak freely about this. But I think for, for literally decades, you guys, pastors have been poorly paid. And they've been poorly paid. I've heard this. I've heard statements. I know pastors where elder boards and board of trustees and deacon boards would say things like this. It is our job to keep you humble. It is our job to keep you holy. So we're not going to pay you enough. And I'm just here to tell you that is a doctrine of the devil. It really is. Because if a pastor cannot walk in financial freedom or dominion, a pastor cannot lead his people or her people to talk about financial freedom and dominion. And if a pastor has to work two or three other jobs, um, I'm telling you, there's, there's, just, there's an element of shame and oppression there that they cannot then lead their people into rightly relating to finance. I think that's been an issue. Uh, but the thing that I think I have recently uh, been enlightened to is I've just been sitting in this, Jonathan, is, um, I didn't expect that. Um, I think money, I'm, 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 I'm discovering money's tied to a lot of pain for a lot of people. And I think that we caught, I'm so grateful for the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit because I think we caught this at the beginning of our series on church as family. Like any time, I think there are two massive wounds in people's lives amongst, among, I think up there in the top three wounds in people's lives are people's relationship with their parents or their family unit and people's relationship with money. I mean, think about this. Um, I know people who said, I never wanted to bring money up to my family because all they argued about was money. And so the culture, the environment, the atmosphere of our home was always so tense. There was so much friction about money. And so consequently, if I had something that I wanted or something that I needed, I never felt like I could bring this up to my dad. I never felt like I could bring this up to my mom because I watched my mom and my dad fight all the time about money. Or what about the family who stepped out on faith and they followed God to a land or they followed God to a place or they followed God to a ministry post or they followed God to a business? And maybe there was impropriety on those people that made promises to them. And the fallout there is that, is that man or that woman who followed God in obedience, their lives fell apart. And maybe, maybe they just fell into loads and loads of debt because they didn't know what else to do. Maybe circumstance, circumstance is tied to this. Oppression is tied to this. Real victimization, real victimization. I'm not talking about falsified victimization. I'm talking about, you know, a spouse leaving you or a dad leaving you, Right? And now all of a sudden there was a steady source of income and it's not there anymore. Or, or maybe a parent died unexpectedly and maybe they didn't plan well financially. And now instead of having two incomes, there's one. And guys, listen, there is a crazy amount of pain that is attached to that. Maybe, maybe we didn't have financial training and maybe 
we were never taught about interest rates uh, or, or you got to pay more than, min- than the minimum or you got to make sure you pay off what you put on a credit card. I mean, some of us in this room may look at that and go, oh my God, that's, that's such common sense. God, that's not common sense for everybody. And what about the person who that wasn't common sense for, right? And now they're, they're tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And now there's a shame that is attached to that, right? So this is a very, very painful topic. And I'm just scratching the surface. We haven't even talked about business partners who there was broken agreements and broken contracts and people said that they were gonna come through and that they didn't. And now all of a sudden there's broken relationships because there's broken business contracts. Um, there, are, there are tons and tons of examples. What about being cheated? Um, um, so I, th- I think one of the reasons why we don't talk about this honestly is because a lot of pastors just don't wanna get into that painful space. This is a painful topic, but let me speak some hope to you um, because my heart and my prayers as your pastor is my heart and my prayer is that if there are any of us in this room that are just drowning in debt, my heart and my prayer is that in the name of Jesus, that shame and condemnation and guilt are absolutely wiped off of you. That, that the healthiest measure of the right kind of conviction will come to us and that it will turn us Godward and say, God, would you help me? Would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you discipline me? For those of us who have no financial training, Jonathan and I have just discovered some material that we're gonna be perusing more deeply and rolling out in January that is not gonna just awaken us, but equip us how to make a budget, how to save, how to think long-term. A lot of us are in the positions that we're in because we just haven't thought long-term. A lot of us are in the positions that we're in because we haven't been taught to delay gratification. A lot of us are in the positions that we're in because we had to absorb someone else's irresponsibility or lack of training. And our heart and our, our, our desire, my desire, is that hope and faith fill our hearts to get our head above water. And I'm also praying that there would be some supernatural doors that are opened, that literally the floodgates of heaven are opened up, that windfalls are released, that bonuses and promotions and opportunities and ideas are released, that faith for those things are released so that we can walk in financial dominion and freedom. That is our destiny, to walk in financial freedom. We are to be the lender and not the borrower. In Jesus' name. Boom, boom. Yeah, so, so one of the thoughts I, I had with relation to this question is that what we, one of the things we don't want to come across is that we are the experts on, on money, you know, coming to you. There are literal financial experts in the room that have made careers on these kinds of things. And there are ways that we're thinking about for the future of trying to get these people involved and in touch with other people who need the assistance. But just like everything in the Christian faith, we, we don't wait until we have accomplished things or until we've conquered things to, to preach the trajectory that we're called to. We, we don't wait until we are perfect and sinless to preach that we are called to be holy and Christ-like. Like if we did that, there would never be any preaching at all of any kind, right? And remember, just guilt and, yeah, we would all get together and wallow in our guilt and condemnation. And we know how much fun that is, don't we? Yeah. 
So, so this is something where wherever you are at, wherever we are at, the goal here is not perfection. It is not to be the trophy standard of financial freedom. That, that's not the goal for any of us. The goal for all of us is Christ-likeness. And that looks different in each of our lives and in each of our circumstances. And so what we want to do is preach the gospel faithfully around this topic for the next few weeks and trust that the Lord is going to do supernatural things in our discipleship, in who we are, in the essence of our identity, but also in the very real practical realities of things like balancing our checkbooks and and delayed gratification. So this, I, I just wanted to be clear that this is not something that we are now coming to you because, you know, it took Pastor Jade, 20 years to want to do this, but now he's an expert, and so we're going to do this. No, that's not the, the goal or the posture of either, of either of us. It is let's learn together how we can follow Christ in this arena of our lives and, and hopefully find freedom and not, not enslavement. Amen, amen. You know, Jonathan, as you're saying that, I, I just recently I've read about a couple of churches that are paying off people's medical bills, um, you know, looking at the, the book of Acts, how people sold their possessions and helped people that were in a temporary moment of crisis. Um, I just, I am dreaming here. I read a magnificent article in the Gazette last week. And uh, if you have access to last week's episode of the Gazette, um, there was an article about housing, affordable housing for those uh, that are struggling with mental illness. And that was such an eye-opening cultural and sociological article about how just living in a home uh, contributes to mental health and actually creates rootedness and stability for children and actually breaks cycles of poverty. And I'm just dreaming. I'm like, listen, why don't we dream together about being debt-free? Why don't we dream together about being business owners? Why don't we dream together about generating um, wealth for the nations? Why don't we dream together about owning our homes outright? And why don't we dream together about helping people um, get out of cycles of poverty in our city and beyond? Let's dream about that. Um, Let's elevate toward that place. Uh, Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, shall we uh, lead our people in the table together? Well, we shall. Aaron, would you come forward? And church, let us stand together. I, um, again, I hope that hope is entering in your heart. And, uh, and I pray that the next six weeks are healing weeks. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you a very, uh, it's just a really big ask. Uh, and that is, would we together, myself included, there's things in my heart and my life and my history, um, that I'm asking that in these next six weeks, as we consecrate this space to the Lord, that God would heal us, that he would heal some PTSD from financial situations in our lives, that he would heal some mistrust and suspicion, that he would heal things all the way back down into our childhood. Um, Generations past, that God would break cycles and he would send us into a new destiny and and that God would... God would lead us into ever-increasing realms of freedom. Can you guys agree with that? Amen, amen. Father, today as we come to the table of the Lord, we pray right now over these sacraments, over these elements. Father, we pray over uh, the cracker, the bread, which is the body of Jesus. And Father, we pray over the cup, the juice, which is the blood of Christ. It's where we find grace and it's where we find mercy in the life, the death, and the resurrection.
of Jesus, the Son of God. And Father, today I pray that as we may have scratched on some very painful or emotional parts of our lives, I am asking that grace and mercy would cover us. And Father, that you would send us into six weeks of consecrated space, Lord, where you can heal us, where you can restore us, where you can redeem us, and God, that you could, you could change our future. And I pray this today in the name of your son, Jesus. Jonathan. These, these elements are a sign, one that God is the provider of our daily bread as we pray weekly as part of the Lord's Prayer, that when we were stranded in the wilderness of our own sin and death, that he sent his son as daily bread for all of humanity. And this juice represents the new covenant, that when we were indebted and full of sin, and when we could not get ourselves out, Christ shed or allowed his own blood to be shed as a new covenant for us that he will not break. And so we can come this morning with confidence and receive these elements knowing that God is our provider, that he is our sustainer, and that every good gift that we give him was first a gift from him to us. So church, would we come and receive these gifts that we give to God and that he gives back to us for our sustenance this week? Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.